Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm Angela Donatio, and each week I share compelling conversations with leading voices. They encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together we'll make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. Hey guys, can you believe we are almost to the end of 2022? And I cannot believe that we are still in the middle of this war between Russia and Ukraine. I remember when Russia invaded Ukraine February 24th and we were praying and hoping it would just be a matter of days or weeks. And here we are months and months later. And you can't help but wonder and ask yourself, is there hope for Ukraine? Author and New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Kyle Duncan spent three weeks in Poland and Western Ukraine earlier this year to capture and compile true stories into hope for Ukraine. He interviewed those who had fled the war, aided workers and volunteers, and conducted numerous interviews with Ukrainians who remain in the country to give voice to those affected by Russia's invasion. In today's interview, he shares his own story of adopting Corey from Maripol, Ukraine, and powerful firsthand accounts of miracles on the front lines. Kyle is a 35-year publishing veteran who has worked with scores of best-selling authors. And as always, this season is sponsored by AGTS. I am pursuing my Master's of Leadership and Ministry. I'm loving every minute of it. And if you're ready to take your leadership and ministry to the next level, then visit agts.edu. Here's my conversation with Kyle Duncan, Hope for Ukraine. All right. Well, welcome, Kyle, to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm so honored to have you here today. Angela, it's my privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I've enjoyed chatting just a little bit already with you, and I can tell you're going to bring so much hope and encouragement to our listeners. And I love this book that you've written on Ukraine, and I want to thank you for your heart for Ukraine. And uh, I'm going to ask you in just a moment, I I know one of the ways and reasons this is so close to your heart is because you have your own miracle story of adoption and adopting a son from Ukraine. I'd love for you to talk about that in just a minute, but I wanted to share earlier this year, um, It was early in the war between Russia and Ukraine. I went on a spiritual pilgrimage to France and I hopped off the bus one morning and needed something from underneath the bus. And I asked our bus driver, Voltic, if he could help me uh, just to get my bag. And uh, he was very gracious. So we chatted for a minute and I found out that he was actually from Poland and that the bus drive, uh, the the leader of the bus driving, you know, company had decided to use the current buses to go in and out of Ukraine. And they were bringing in supplies and they were taking out, uh, especially women and children and some wounded. And he had been a part Mm. of that mission. And so just in a five minute conversation, um, I heard his own personal story. And then I shared that with our tour leader. She invited us then to have him share with the whole bus And God miraculously blessed. And uh, she felt led for us to take up kind of a collection of anyone who felt led to do that. And so that went to uh, two different projects there Um, in Poland. He said that there has been some businessmen that number one have taken a number of real estate, you know, whether it's apartments or homes that were vacant, 
and housing uh, refugees from Ukraine, as well as the hospitals that were treating the wounded. And so the collection that we were able to gather went directly to those children that were being treated at the hospital in Poland. Mm-hmm. So that's just a personal um, involvement that the Lord allowed me to have. It's nothing like being on the front lines, like what you've experienced, mm-hmm. but just to to hear his story of growing up in Poland under Russian communist rule and uh, yeah. the determination that he had to make sure that we did all that we could in this season to help Ukraine. So I just wanted to share that. I've never told that story here on the podcast. And I thought my listeners might enjoy knowing this was close to my heart and it was a blessing to just feel like we were connected in some way um, that the very bus that I was, you know, sitting on and touring this lovely countryside um, was the same bus that he said children were hiding in the bathroom on the bus and still so traumatized. They didn't want to get off. So um, I, that was just my initial brush Uh, You spent time on the front lines, but before we kind of talk about what that was like for you, share how God even led you to have this heart for Ukraine and you ended up adopting uh, who is now your son. I would love to know the story. Sure. Well, first of all, just um, a major um, kudos and and, uh, respect for the Polish people. And that's where I spent most of my time. And we can talk about that because the polls have have stepped up amazingly. I mean, yeah. I was blown away that they have invited in and, you know, acclimated almost 4 million Ukrainians, which yeah. is huge for a country the size of Texas about. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, my journey, um, Angela, with, with Ukraine, uh, my wife and I, it goes back actually to about, well, to 2001, when we had a little boy ourselves who... Uh, was diagnosed in the womb with trisomy 13, which is a very serious genetic defect. And our son, Joseph, ended up dying after three days. Um, And that was a miracle that he even lived for three days. Um, But five months into the pregnancy, we found out about that. And our doctors wanted us to terminate the pregnancy because they said it wasn't viable, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And my wife, before I could answer, probably with a little bit saltier words than hers, she said, you know, God gives life and God takes away and we're going to, we're, I'm going to carry this baby. Um, and it's in God's hands. And so anyway, so we had lost a son right around nine 11, which is wow. very intense. And, um, so, you know, that obviously that was huge. It was very traumatic. We have three biological daughters. Um, our third daughter was born after Joseph, um, in 2003, Zoe is her name, which means spirit of life in yeah. Greek. And we thought that very appropriate for her name. But anyway, in 2003, we, we, my wife um, had an, a, an experience with, my, with Zoe when she was rocking her to sleep one night. And she heard um, a baby crying. And it wasn't our baby. And we're, we're in a, we were in a house. We weren't, you know, like someplace where we could hear her you know, babies crying at night. And my wife was like, what is that? Looks out the window, nothing, of course. Um, So, you know, didn't think much of it. Next night, same thing. So she's like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And she heard the small, still voice of the Lord say to her, I want you to adopt and I want you to adopt a boy. She's like, okay, I'll pray into that. Well, the next night she asked again, Lord, you know, where do you want us to adopt from? And the Lord said, mm-hmm. Ukraine. And my wife, um, I'm more of the geography nerd. And she's like, Ukraine. I know that's a former Soviet Union uh, Republic, but 
you know, it was so random that she had to get out our kids' little blue, remember the old blue globes, you know, yes. spit them around. And, <laughs> I have a tan um, one on my desk as we speak. Yeah, I know. I miss globes, you know, everything's <laughs> on Google Maps now. But anyway, um, so she kept that, she, she, you know, treasured that in her heart, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak, for six months and didn't tell me and just prayed about it. Oh, wow. And finally, yeah, she knew I wasn't ready to hear that because we were still grieving. So anyway, fast forward. Finally, I get on the ball and she shares it with me and, and uh, through a series of circumstances outlined in the book, as you, as you mentioned, um, we decide to adopt from Ukraine. So we end up um, in Ukraine in 07 and um, we go to Kiev, beautiful city, absolutely gorgeous, you know, with the old, you know, the old, old city built in five, 700. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And um, we meet with the adoption people there. And we choose a, you can actually choose from several dossiers, the child that you want to go meet. And our child happened to be down in Mariupol, which is down in the Southeast. So we went down there and we met Genya mm-hmm. and we decided to adopt him. Now, what was, that was in 07, Angela. So just to give you the timeline. So we adopted him when he was six um, and he's now nine, he's now 21. So, mm-hmm. so it was 15 years ago. And spent, we spent about a month there in Mariupol and really came to love that area, came to love the people. Mm. Uh, many of your viewers and listeners will, will recognize the name of that town because it really is um, one of the most devastated cities in Ukraine right now. And um, they call it the Stalingrad of mm. uh, this war. And um, up to 20,000 civilians have been killed there. Mm. So it's very surreal. I tried to call his orphanage and I got no answer. We haven't been able to find out, you know, if the kids there were able to, you know, be evacuated. We're hoping and praying they were. But that's that's the story in a nutshell. There's a lot of, of you know, uh, wrinkles and side shoots and fruits to it. But that's that's the gist of it. And that's where what captured our heart mm. and really made us um, sort of follow what's been going on in Ukraine, not just since February of this year, but since really the civil war and the annexation of Crimea in 2014. And let's, and thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you and your wife for just listening to the voice of the Lord and, and mm-hmm. being obedient. You're right. A year ago, I would have never heard the name. I'm still going to mispronounce it. Maripol. Yeah. Uh, but, but now sadly it's, it's, we very all very much know that name of that city, not for the reason yeah. we would like to. Right. You even have some overview of history in the front of the book, mm-hmm. just kind of helping us. It's a little dizzying just because, you know, these are areas where there's been a lot. It's, you know, it's like oh, yeah. my first trip to Israel. I was just trying to figure out, it's like a <laughs> yeah. cake, you know, like right. where am I and what century exactly. is here, when. And, but if you can quickly help us to know how we got here, you just mentioned a couple of crucial things that might help people who, Maybe they're they're just turning on the news and they're just seeing Russia taking over a country. They really don't understand any of sure. of the backstory or someone yeah. who's very educated. And this is, you know, this podcast is listened to in over 130 countries. So there are people who I'll have to look it up. I, I believe at one point there were listeners in Ukraine, Kyle. So mm. um, that would really be a blessing. I don't know, like you're saying with the yeah. what access they're still having. But right. how did we really get to the point we find ourselves right now? Sure. Well, um, so, you know, 
the USSR, of course, um, started to break up in the late 80s, early 90s. So in 1991, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, Ukraine um, declared its independence and became a sovereign nation. Mm. So for 30 plus years, it has been just that, um, a sovereign nation recognized by the UN and, and the vast majority of countries around the world. Um, there's a lot of, of, yeah, there's a lot of things swirling around about, well, you know, Crimea used to be part of Russia, mm-hmm. you know, and, and back in the 18th century, Catherine the Great, who was, who was the czarist, um, the, the queen there, you know, annexed it. And, um, but I will say that Crimea actually was given back to Ukraine Mm. Uh, in 1955. So even when when Ukraine was still part of the USSR, the Supreme Soviet, the head of of the USSR in in Moscow said, we want to give this back to you as a sign of goodwill. Mm. So actually, even Crimea has been a part of Ukraine, even before they became an independent nation. So um, but it's a very wealthy area, um, that part of the country. I'm sorry to do this. My dog is whining. I have to open the screen door. I apologize. You're so fine. I can edit it out. No, you're fine. I can edit it out. I actually have one and I have my door open for the same reason today. (laughs) I try to do everything to avoid this. You're so fine. I've been right where you are. Gosh, they're like little babies, aren't they? They are. And my husband's out of town and normally I can, he'll have him and I'll lock, I'll shut my door and I have an aquarium downstairs. So I'm so worried that you can kind of hear that. No, no, no. But otherwise he'll scratch on the door. I'm, I'm in the same boat. So please. Okay. Don't sorry apologize. about that. So, no, so I'll, I'll pick up know. with, I'll pick up with. So, so basically in, in, since 1995, uh, even Crimea was part of Ukraine. And so, you know, what people say is, well, these areas of Ukraine that Russia wants back, so to speak, um, t- technically there, there are two regions or oblasts called Luhansk and Donetsk. And that's where most of the fighting is happening. Mm. So, well, that's, that was, you know, mostly Russian speaking people there. And, you know, Putin has said, oh, we need to go in and rescue them from genocide and Nazification is what they say. Sure. And I can tell you flat out that, that that's complete fabrication. And, right. and I've been there. I've talked to the people. Um, but there are a lot of people in that part of the country, though, that are from Russia and speak right. Russian. And so before February of this year, um, there was a lot of sentiment, you know, and a lot of nostalgia for the USSR. So it's not yeah. fully black and white, but I can tell you that since um, the all out invasion uh, from Russia, that a lot of those sen- sentiments have changed. Yeah. And um, Ukrainians, the vast majority of Ukrainians no longer uh, really want much to do with Russia anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. But like many parts of the world, it's convoluted. Yeah. Um, I will say that there is, you know, there's corruption and and graft and et cetera in every government, yeah. including Ukraine, including ours, yeah. uh, as we all know. But, um, you know, the main thing is it's been a sovereign nation and, right. and it's 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 an unprecedented illegal invasion. Hmm. Um, we haven't seen the likes of which for decades or, yes. or a war of this magnitude in Europe. Since Hitler and World War II. Yeah. Thank you for helping us. I know it's a complex situation and it's nuanced. Yeah. Like you said, it's not as black and white, but it's it's an unprovoked 
complete and you know like yeah. you said it's it's an unprovoked situation we i've never seen it in my lifetime anything like this and it's a wealthy area and and there's a lot of speculation of whether or not he's just trying to recreate the old ussr yeah, and maybe absolutely outdated and is is thinking and underestimated the world's response i mean there's a lot of yes. political offshoots of this but behind all of those and i wanted to give a little bit of context of why we are where we are but what you, what you're bringing to us in this book, Kyle, is these are real people with mm-hmm. real stories. These are women and children and families and parents and you know Russians living there that didn't want this and right. a, a living uh, completely sovereign life there for years and, until this invasion. So, what prompted you to go to the area and spend three weeks there on the front lines? Did you felt like there was just no other way to gather these stories? Mm-hmm. And I mentioned Poland, you spent the bulk of your time in Poland. So talk with us about it was what it was really like to be right there on the ground. Sure. So first of all, yeah, when the war, uh, when this latest invasion happened in February, um, it was very frustrating for me and my son, who's 21, yes. and that's his native country. And of course, he wants to hop on a plane and go fight. Typical 21-year-old. He's a big kid and he just wants to go over there and, you know, <laughs> and be Rambo and we, we were able to talk him out of that. Um, and he um, is getting his certificate in welding. And I said, look, Corey, um, Gen- he likes going by Genia. We named him Corey. His middle name is Genia, which is his birth name. So just recently he said, I'm Genia again. So we call him Genia. But um, Genia said, uh, um, okay, Dad, I'll wait till the war's over. And then I, the agreement I have with him is I'll go with him. Mm-hmm. And we want to go to Mariupol and he wants to help be part of the reconstruction. And I said, son, I'd be very proud of you to go and do that for your native country, because mm-hmm. with your welding skills, they're going to need you. Wow. And so that was kind of a, that's kind of a redemptive thing we're looking forward to together, but it's um, yeah, the, the being there on the ground was life-changing. I'm not a war reporter. I mean, I have some journalism background. I have been a, a magazine writer, but um it was a very, it was a visceral experience that really changed me forever. Just, you know, sitting with refugees, for example, in an apartment um, outside of Warsaw, uh, there were eight women and three children living in a two bedroom apartment, Mm. tiny little kitchen. And we were all squeezed into that kitchen and a wide mix of people, mostly Christians, but not all. Mm. Um, And people just helping out and, And the stories I heard were gut-wrenching, you know, um, pianists and and classical musicians trained in St. Petersburg at Mm. some of the finest uh, conservatories in Europe, living, you know, what we would call upper middle-class lives with cars and two to three bedroom apartments. And suddenly, you know, imagine tonight the police come to your home and say, you know, Canada's invaded. I know that's kind of silly to think of, but Canada's invaded and um, their soldiers are two hours away. You have five minutes to grab whatever you can and put it in a backpack and a rolling suitcase. And we are out of here. Mm. And that's what these people had to do. And um, so staring, you know, looking them in the eye, seeing the tears, um, you know, literally crying with people, praying with them was very, it was quite a life changing experience. Um, and then, so yeah, most of my time was interviewing refugees, aid workers, and visiting um, 
warehouses for some of the larger uh, refugee agencies like Convoy of Hope, Hope yes. Samaritan's Purse, yes. et cetera. But then I did, I was able to cross into Ukraine. Um, I actually did that by foot. And mm. as I detail in the book, and that was, that was probably um, the most intense and difficult, but also the, the greatest highlight of the trip. Mm. Um, as I went over, Angela, I didn't know how long it would take me to get back by foot. And, and those of your listeners who have crossed a border by foot, I'm, I'm in San Diego. You know, we've done it by foot into Tijuana. Um, and getting back is always takes longer than, than going over. And that was the case. It took me nine hours in mm-hmm. line to get yeah. back over. Um, and I was in line with people who had just gotten off a bus from Kharkiv. And Kharkiv has been one of the most heavily hit cities. It's right near the Russian border up in the northeast part of the country. Mm. And then in the last couple of months, as you may recall, it's it's been liberated. It's been the, the, this hugely successful counteroffensive yes. by the Ukrainian yes. army. Mm-hmm. So Kharkiv is now freed again. But at the time, it wasn't. And so I, I was in line standing with mostly elderly people, women, and children who had left husbands, uncles, fathers behind to fight. And I got into a conversation with a 10-year-old girl who could speak some English. Her name was Anna. Her parents couldn't, I mean, her mom mom and her grandma couldn't speak much English. And between uh, her English skills and my Google Translate, I was able to piece together their story. And they had just spent a month in their basement of their apartment, Um, you know, people running out to get water from a local well, risking their lives for fresh water. Mm. Um, and then they'd, they'd endured an 18 hour bus ride uh, at night. They had to have complete darkness for fear of yeah. the, giving away their position because the Russians have um, shelled civilian buses and killed um, mm. people. So that, that experience was intense. Yes. And, um, and th- those nine hours, I, I'm certainly not complaining about them. Um compared to what all what those people had been through. Uh, and the last thing I want to say about that experience, Angela, is that right before, so you cross through, of course, the Ukrainian customs office, and there's like a gray zone where you walk about 300 yards and then you come to the, the Polish, and the line was shorter there. Um, and as I was standing in line, I struck up, struck up a conversation with a gentleman from Manchester, England, who just was watching the news one day he saw a maternity hospital actually in Mariupol get bombed and pregnant women and babies were killed. And he said, that's it. I got to go. And so he got on a plane and he flew to Poland and he said, I'm here to volunteer to help. So I struck up a conversation with this, this gentleman and he, we were standing in line, there's a fence next to me. And he said, look over there. And I looked and there was a steak knife on the ground. I was like, why is there a steak knife? He said, the women, when they leave their homes in Ukraine to make this journey, they don't know what they're going to encounter. Mm. And, um, you know, there's been terrible atrocities uh, against women and violation and rape and, and, and they don't feel safe. So they bring whatever they can to protect themselves. So a lot of women, all they have are steak knives from their kitchen. Wow. Wow. But when they get here and they're about to cross over into Poland, mm. they feel safe enough to throw their knives away. And he said, last week we had a pile of knives or we had 400 knives. That we collected. Oh, wow. And I lost it there as I almost, oh. um, I'm losing it with you. Um, and that's really hard to hear. And I know that people, 
a lot of us, you know, we have compassion fatigue and, you know, Ukraine is like, oh gosh, it's one more thing to think about and worry about. And, you know, I'm just trying to raise my kids and keep them off drugs. And, but, you know, um, there are those of us out there who, you know, not everybody's going to be called to pray for Ukraine, but if you are, I would just say, pray the news, you know, look at the news every day and, and what's going on in the war and pray into that. Mm. So, oh, thank you, Kyle. There's so much there we could talk about. 400 knives. Wow, that will, that's a story all in and of itself. And I watched a video of you on the ground at night on foot. And, you know, I've been all over the world, but never right in the middle of a war zone. And, you know, your, your bravery and, and this idea of contextualizing evangelism, it's one thing we can talk about it here. It's another to be on the ground and to experience what they're experienced, to look in their eyes, to hear their stories. I can just send money to Africa or I can go and I can be a part of it. And like you said, we're not all called to do that. And there's, there's no difference in that, but we can all pray. When you talk about my degrees in music, so I'm a classically trained pianist. So Mm -hmm. I got a little bit emotional. I'm getting emotional again, just thinking about, you know, my, my family origin parents gave me the baby grand piano I have downstairs in my living room. And so just to imagine just everything that you've loved and worked for being ripped from you, not to mention just the horrific atrocities you're talking about. I mean, these are people that had lives and families and businesses and, and uh, it made me think of um, the pianist, the movie that sets place in the middle. of. <laughs> Such a, I just watched that film right? again it's about a month literally ago. The same it's, thing, you know, it's Adrian Cody playing a brilliant role, you know, an award-winning role yeah. of just sitting there in a, you know, in, in seeing the breath come out while he's trying yes. to play. It's, it's just surreal. Yeah. Like you said, it's surreal. It's, and, yeah, uh, it is. So I appreciate you, you, not just hearing about the stories. And I can't imagine what this has been like for your son, for your family. This is a place that you love and that you're invested in. We all feel heartbroken and we're not invested in it to the extent that you are. Um, And you're sharing some specific examples. Is there any other story that impacted you? You know, maybe there's so many in this book that are so riveting, but is there one that you just felt like if I have to share, I mean, the 400 knives is, is, yeah, I will not forget that. Yeah. But is there one that you're like, yeah. this is what I'd want everyone to hear? Yeah, this is a really great story um, that was told to me by a couple um, sitting in an apartment over pizza and salad one night. And this is an apartment outside of Krakow. And um, refugees, a couple um, from um, from Kiev. And they told me the story of, of, and, and they're believers. And, and um, they, when they, uh, when the war broke out, <clears throat> they debated, you know, should we leave? Should we stay? And they decided they needed to leave. They have a two-year-old daughter and she has a uh, minor heart defect, which is not uncommon. And it's this kind of surgery that if, as long as you correct it by about age five or six, people can live a very normal life. So it's not an uncommon surgery. And they were scheduled to have their, their precious two-year-old surgery on February 24th. Mm. And so that was the day the war broke out. So plans canceled. Now they have to flee. And they, um, the, uh, the husband, um, I've changed their names out of sensitivity because he ended up um, being a hero in, in the battle for Kiev where he, they fled to his parents' house. Okay. So his parents live in this little town 
out in the outskirts of Kiev, like 30 miles outside. And he's thinking it's a little town. It's a podunk town, you know, no military, you know, significance. The Russians could care less about it. Let's go there. We'll be safe. Mm. You know, you, you think about it. You don't, you know, if DC is going to be bombed, you know, where do you go? You know, right, you go right. like up into the mountains of Virginia or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, what he didn't know was that was the exact route that the entire oh. bulk of the Russian army was going to take yeah. to try to encircle Kiev. And right next to this town, it's called Maltin. Right next to the town are two uh, towns that are infamous now, um, Bucha and Erpin, yes. where all of the horrible atrocities occurred and hundreds of civilians were, were killed. But anyway, so there they are. They flee Kiev. They get to this little town with his invalid dad. His dad um, had had to have his leg amputated from diabetes. And so he's in a wheelchair recovering from this. Um, and so he's with his elderly folks and they think they're safe. But on day two, they start he- hearing artillery and it gets worse and worse. And at night, at night, he sneaks up onto the roof and, with his binoculars. And it's actually, it's his dad's hunting rifles, the scope. So it's got night vision on it. Yeah. And he's up there and he's he's identifying Russian troop positions. Mm-hmm. And then he's going on an app on his phone and he's giving those coordinates through the app, an encrypted app, to the local oh, uh, wow. Ukrainian military. So, so in a sense, he helped save his town. But anyway, on day three, they can see houses on fire. As they peek out the blinds, they can see tanks rolling down the street. Mm. And he is desperate. It's like, we have got to get out of here. And so they make a call to the local police station and they say, is it safe to come west? Because everything, the further west you go, closer to NATO countries like Poland, the safer you are. The police station goes, no, I cannot confirm that it's safe. There's been Russian um, sightings of troops all over. But he knows that he can't leave at night. Because the Ukrainian side, they have a curfew. Yeah. And if they see anybody out at night, yeah, they might shoot that. you. Yeah. And and so so basically, you know, it's out of the frying pan into the fire. And and they pray. And Dimitri, the husband, suddenly says, I have a strong sense we need to leave right now. So this is at 2.30 in the afternoon. I believe it was on March 4th. And for, for just, let's just, for story's sake, let's say that's the day. At 2.30. So they they pack up the car. You know, they do everything they can to, to load it as much as they can, put the wheelchair in the trunk, and they zoom out of there at 2.30 in the afternoon. And they're, they're, they're winding through streets that we've all seen on TV with mm. burned out tanks and, and, and horrible, horrific scenes. And, but thankfully, they get to safety. So I'm sitting there, fast forward about three weeks, and I'm actually with them now in an apartment hearing this story and it's a wonderful time and everybody's celebrating. We're praying together and I go home. Well, a week later I get an email from the wife, Oxalana. And she said, um, I've been in touch with people from our village and CNN actually released um, a story about the very road that we drove down. They have since called it the road of death because on that same day, March 4th at four in the afternoon, an hour and a half after they sensed the Lord saying, you have to leave now, Mm. 18 civilians were killed Mm. by Russian shelling. Um, People trying to do exactly what they did and just escape to get their families out safe. And so 
in her email to me to tell me the story after the fact. And it was right before the book went to press and I was able to kind of stop the presses and redo the story to add that postscript. She said, she said, if we, if my husband hadn't listened to what he sensed was the voice of God, I would not be writing this email to you now. And they also found out that Russians had actually broken into the home shortly after they left and God knows what they would have done to him. So that's one Really cool story about how God still speaks today and yes. how God speaks. You know, Jesus says, you know, I, uh, my sheep know me and, and they know my voice. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's in John. And yes. it's just a wonderful story, you know, of, of God speaking to his sheep and telling them you, you need to go. Well, we kind of started there in this, in this conversation was your wife hearing from the Lord and you both listening yeah. and you're telling us miracle stories. Really, the book is full of miracle stories. Um, when, and I love when we were chatting earlier before we were even live. Is And I asked you, Kyle, let's, let's just be honest. How can you frame this as hope for Ukraine when, when we're looking at what feels like a hopeless situation? What you said to me is Jesus is alive and he's in the trenches. Mm-hmm. So you're not just telling us stories of men and women. You're telling us stories of God's intervention and God being present, even in what seems like, where could God be in this? So tell us how you can see hope and what can we do when we look at this and we feel so helpless and so hopeless, what is Mm -hmm. your encouragement for us as listeners? Well, you know, this, this is a major battle that's happening, of course, um, in the physical realm in Europe right now. No one knows quite how it's going to end. Um, Mm But we all know how the, as believers in Jesus Christ, we all know how the war ends. Uh, we know in the end that Jesus wins. Yes. And, and that is the hope ultimately that we have. And that's the hope of the Ukrainian people. But I would say that, um, Ukrainian, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, what Ukrainians told me when I'm sitting there or when I'm on Zoom and I've interviewed people and I still stay in touch with people. I have friends in Kyiv right now and they're being, mm-hmm. They're being bombed by these Iranian-made kamikaze drones. You know, Kiev has been quiet, hasn't been shelled for a while, and now death and destruction. You never, you don't know when something's going to fall on your house. It's it's incredible. And I, these are these are Jesus-loving people. This is the church. You're our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and what they say is, um, we, you know, they may destroy our houses, but they will never ever take our home. This this is our home. This is our land. Mm. And we pray for the Russian army. We pray for conviction. We pray for a reversal of strategy in the Kremlin. Mm. We pray for, for revival. These are Ukrainians being killed by Russians, praying for the nation of Russia. Wow. Only the Holy Spirit could give you a yes, heart like that. Yes, yes. So what I would say is they're hopeful. They know this war is going to end. And the prayer that um, was told to me by uh, a gentleman named Colonel uh, Karenovich, who used to be an, a, a high-ranking officer in the Soviet Union. And then um, when the wall came down, his family um, went and migrated to Ukraine. And then he became an officer in the Ukrainian army. And what wow. he told me just not long ago, he's a prominent theologian now at Kiev Seminary. And he said, Kyle, that mindset, that Soviet mindset is not of God. Yes, it is a communist, godless mindset. And he said, thousands of generals that I used to be exactly like are running this war. He said, I'm not trying to say I'm not trying to demonize the whole Ukrainian army. There are Christians there. 
But the spirit behind that is not of God. And we need to pray for peace. And, mm-hmm. and the, the God of peace is stronger than the God of death. That's, that's so good. So that I would share that from Colonel Karenovich, you yeah. know, better than I can say it. And um, he now he now leads a huge ministry of war chaplains. Mm. And these are thousands of men and women right now as we speak that are putting their lives on the lines you know, in the trenches, um, oh, on the wow. front, in the east, on the front, in the south, and praying with people, with soldiers to accept Christ in trenches. Amazing things happening. Mm. Um, so God is alive and well. And that how we can help is uh, obviously prayer. Yeah. And also, you know, if you feel led, um, there's wonderful, easy ways to give, you know, Samaritan's Purse is easy, Convoy of Hope. I mean, there's there's great American ministries. And then in the back of the book, we have some some on the ground Ukrainian. If you want to get your money straight into the country, we have some wonderful uh, ministries and organizations that are working right now mm-hmm. on the front lines to help soldiers, to help orphans, et cetera. Yeah, there's a lot. There's so many different ways we've hosted. Uh, both Hal and Dory Donaldson here from Convoy of Hope oh, Podcast. Yeah. Love them. Yeah. Love the work they're doing. Yeah. And the book is another critical way that people can be a part of it. Hope for yes. Ukraine. How do you want them to get a copy of it here? And, you know, gift yeah. it to someone even at, it's, we're almost here at the holidays. This is going to air yeah. in November. And, you know, it's, they're, they're, they're real stories. They're true stories. This is not right. all encompassing. And you're very honest about that. This is not a, a whole no. analytical discussion about what's no. going wrong between Ukraine and Russia. It's personal human interest stories, real stories. These are our brothers and sisters on the ground stories of how God is working. And, and, you know, Christmas is when we celebrate the greatest miracle of all that Jesus, absolutely, God became flesh, put on flesh, dwelt among us. And so yeah. he's there in the middle of all of this. We, we wish these stories weren't happening. We wish that yeah. we didn't live in this fallen world, but it is a fallen world. And yet God is very much alive and in the middle of it. And so you'll be encouraged by reading these stories. And mm. uh, so I encourage you to copy. Where do you want them to go, Kyle, to pick up a copy of Hope for Ukraine? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, to also what we've done, uh, Angela, is is more than two thirds of every dollar um, made in by, you know, just any, any dollars made on this book from the publisher, from uh, Esther Federkevich, my, yes. my co-author and myself go directly back to help Ukrainian refugees and ministries on that's the ground. Right. That's right. So that's one way. The other way. Um, yeah. And you can get it at, at wherever books are sold, wherever you prefer, whether that's Amazon or Barnes and Noble.com or CBD.com uh, or at our wonderful Baker books publishing house. Yes. Uh, and, um, and our, our imprint, which is chosenbooks.com. So any of those places, you can reach out to me. I'm on Facebook and um, Twitter mostly. So reach out, say hello. I'd love to hear from you. I love it. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for making your life matter in so many ways, but especially for, for helping the lives um, that maybe we'll never get to meet. Maybe we won't yeah. be able to look into their eyes and and hear their stories firsthand, but you're bringing them to us. And I'm so grateful. And Every life matters from the moment that we started today. And you talked about you and your wife having to deal with a very difficult choice um, with, with your own child and uh, choosing life to valuing the life of, of these Ukrainians and God cares about the Russians. I mean, some of these people are just doing what they're told and, you know, there's, and there's, there's a, there's a lot of of history here. There's a lot that we 
we aren't going to be able to fix overnight, but what we're looking to do is, is to highlight where God is working and moving, how we can pray, how we can give, how we can be a part of solutions and, uh, and to know that God is working in his church is still being built. I mean, they, I'm, I'm pursuing my master's of leadership and ministry right now. I've been reading a recent book on missiology and church history and I was writing a paper in response and, and some of the, uh, the anal- analysis I had to sit in was, was felt hopeless. It felt mm-hmm. frustrating to look at cultural trends and, you know, deconstruction of faith and things that <laughs> right. you, uh, you're depressed. <laughs> All the isms. When you, when exactly. How many isms <laughs> can I deal with in one book? Yeah. And I, you know, you get, you get frustrated and hopeless. And, yeah. and yet I, I found myself as I was writing a response to one of you know the sections I was reading is, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church yeah. and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against Amen. it. It doesn't mean the enemy's not going to try from every possible That's angle, right. can, both within church walls, outside church walls, ideologies, but all throughout biblical history, we see that God raised up men and women, whether it's Nehemiah, Daniel, Esther, throughout the old, the new Testament, old and new Testament, there's nothing that we're not experiencing that the first century church didn't experience under Nero, under countless dictators throughout history. So what that does to encourage me, Kyle, is this is the same God that we're talking about. So it's not like all of a sudden he's abdicated his authority or his throne or somehow Putin is, is, is going to be the one world leader that God doesn't know what to do with and that God can't raise (laughs) up men and women to still see his kingdom come in the middle of uh, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. So our role is to advance the, the gospel at all costs. And so, Amen. and to share these stories to know that God is moving and working. And uh, even today I woke up and one of the first news stories I saw was, that, you know, Putin had declared martial law and large blasts yeah. of Ukraine. So, right. you know, we, we can simultaneously, some of us guys, like, like he was saying, you know, you just feel like hopeless and you have compassion fatigue and you're doing your best to keep your own life afloat, but let's exactly. not, but let's not ever get so um, weary in what we're right. seeing that we're not outward focused. Hal Donaldson's right. book is Disruptive Compassion, one of the best books I've read in the same topic that we have to still say, as Mother Teresa said to him, we can all do something. That's we, right. can, exactly. we can all do something. So I don't yeah. know. What is your something? Think about what your something is. Kyle, I always like to close with one last question before you pray for us today. And that is you're making your life matter in so many ways. And, and I would love to know other than Jesus, who in the Bible has most inspired you to make life matter? Who do you draw that inspiration from? Well, you posed that question to me um, when we were setting up the interview and I've been thinking and praying about that. And um, the Lord popped a, an individual into my head that I actually don't normally say is the person, but it would be Abraham Mm. and the way, and actually Abram before he became Abraham. It's simply because, um, and we all know this and you, you're astute uh, student of the Bible and and preach and teach Abram, you know, God didn't show him the whole vast constellation of his plan. He, he told him there would be a nation built. Mm. He didn't tell him how to do it. Even when he and Sarai left or, or they didn't, they didn't know where they were going. Mm. And um, my, my sense is that God did that because if he had showed the whole picture, shown the whole picture to Abram, um, 
he may have just curled up in a little ball and not taken a step westward toward the promised land. And so um, I'm an average guy. Yeah, I've been blessed to be able to be put in a position to write a book. Um, And, you know, and I have relationships in publishing, which helped me to get that deal. But I am an average guy and I wake up and, you know, I don't I can't even look at my phone in the morning, actually, because I. I get so mad mm. at what Russia's doing and, yeah. you know, the annexation of, uh, you know, these, these fake referendums and everything, but yeah. yeah, I'm an average guy and, and, and we're all in the same boat. You know, we need love. We want love. Um, we have worries. We have, we have intense things happening in our lives. I, I guess what I would say is what Lord, what, how the Lord changed me through this book is it terrified me when he told me he wanted me to write it. And I'm like, I'm not equipped. And a friend of mine said, well, then you're in a position, you know, you're in a position, perfect position to write it. And we hate hearing that. I know, like, Don't right? tell me that, um, you know, and he did push me hard out of my comfort zone. But, um, but the result of it, I, I really feel like I got so much out of this and my, my life has ever has it mm. been changed. And I feel like I've been tenderized, you know, <laughs> like a, like a, a good steak, you know, you tenderize it. And I feel like I've just been tenderized and, and God's wow. broken my heart even more for Ukraine and, and how to pray for them. And so, wow. um, yeah, that, so Abram would be the, the person even before he became Abraham. I love it. And we're not, we're not responsible for the outcome. We're responsible no, for the we're obedience. Not. We're responsible for the next step. And yeah. I remember when God broke my heart for Africa, I've been to many other countries since Mm. that's still where there's a a special pull. You know, what, what Kyle is saying today is guys lean into where the Lord might be putting what, what makes your blood boil a little bit? What gets your Mm -hmm. heart rate? What keeps you up at night? What might be a God cause that he is calling you to? That's a whole nother conversation that we could have that you've heard me talk about here on the podcast before is identifying if there's a gap, not every gap you see is your God assignment, but sometimes the gaps are. And so if you look around your life and you see something that you know, there needs to be a solution to you, you feel God's tug on your heart. You feel a pull of compassion. And when Jesus looked over the city and he saw people harassed because they were like sheep without a shepherd, um, he had compassion. Mm -hmm. Yes. We have righteous indignation. We have anger. We have frustration. We have sorrow. We have all the feelings that we are normal and should be feeling about these situations. But then I would challenge us to go a step further as Kyle did. Okay, God, what do you want me to do about this? Is it giving? Mm -hmm. Is it in these cases, maybe we can't physically go, you know, you're anticipating when you can with your son and I need Mm -hmm. to have you back again when that Mm -hmm. happens. And we want to hear that story, but we can all do something. And so Kyle, I'm just grateful for your obedience because that really is the the life lesson here for us is if we're going to make our life matter, we have to be listening to what God says. And then we have to be willing to say, obey and and to say yes and obey what he says and leave the outcome up to him. But we could stand before him knowing that I asked you to do this and you did what I asked you to do. And so I'm, I'm grateful guys, please go get a copy of the book, hope for Ukraine. And I'm putting everything in the show notes and this changes literally on a a daily, weekly basis. But by the time this airs, there might even be something you know, new, Mm -hmm. we're anticipating and praying for the end of this and for the restoration Mm -hmm. of 
of Ukraine and uh, ultimately for God's kingdom to come and, and his will to be done. So Kyle, thank you. Thank you for not only going, but also sharing these stories with us and uh, helps us to feel more connected and uh, not to feel so hopeless and helpless, but to know that, that Jesus is in the trenches with all of us, whatever we're facing today, there's nothing too difficult for him. So that's right. Would you pray for us and pray for our listeners as we kind of close our time today? Of course. Thank you, Angela. Father God, we thank you so much that we have a savior who cares about um, even the the smallest details of our lives. Lord, you, you've said you, you count every hair on our head, Lord. And I pray for everyone um, who's, who's listening to this, um, today or seeing it um, wherever it's being broadcast lord god that person there there that you know that you are loved there obviously there's people here who are not feeling loved who are feeling overwhelmed who are feeling hopeless lord i pray that you would inject into those people um just a shot just just um a, a huge injection of love and hope father without hope the people perish and i just i pray lord god that um is particularly for the nation of Ukraine right now. A lot of people are suffering in ways that are almost hard for the rest of us to imagine. We know, Lord, that the Ukraine is not the only place in the world where people are suffering. As, as Angela has said, Lord, there are conflicts and there are droughts and there are famines and there's poverty all around the world, including the, the, the continent of Africa um, and places all over, Father, where people are being persecuted. Um, and so, Lord God, we do get overwhelmed, but I pray right now, Lord, that you would um, place a a burden of prayer on everyone's heart right now, specific to that individual, to their heart, to their personality, to what they believe and care about, Lord. And I pray that you would help us all to pray the news. Father, whatever you lay on our heart, that we would dig into that every day, Lord. And even if just for a few moments, Go to our favorite news site, Lord, and and search to search up that particular topic and to pray into it, Lord, with what pops up. And Father, I pray for Angela and the work she does on this wonderful ministry through this wonderful ministry and podcast and the work that she and her husband do for the church, um, both locally there in Virginia, worldwide. And I ask that you would bless um, everyone who's hearing this today in your precious son, Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe at cpnshows.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at angeladenadio.com, Facebook at angeladenadiovov, and Instagram at angeladenadio. Until next week, let's make life matter.